0: Hi, welcome to another teaching message from Sukamo Church, Ibadan, Nigeria. If you've ever watched this, who wants to be a millionaire thing, you probably know about how that, there's that real tension when there's a decision in front of you and you feel like this decision can determine the rest of my life. Like you've heard the figure, 10 million, and then you're facing this, this question and it's like, if I get this right, my life can be different. And again, if I miss this, I can live the rest of my life with regret, basically. And so you see this guy, you know, they tell him you are playing for 10 million now, and then he's sweating, he's nervous and all of that. And then they ask you a question. Um, for example, if two days after yesterday is Monday and two days after the day before tomorrow is Wednesday, what day is it in three days' time? Option A, Sunday. Option B, Wednesday. Option C, Thursday. Option D, none of the above. And so, you guys, staring, and how many of you know the answer to that. Okay. Uh, but, but, but let me ask you this one does your life actually feel that way perpetually like it's almost like I'm always in this hey option A and if I get this it's like I can smell greatness if I get it right but I also feel like if I miss this I might live the rest of my life so maybe for you it's not you are playing for ten million. millionaires it's like you are playing for your marriage option A, Kunle option B, Raphael <laughs> option C, Mustafa and then you're like hey uh, or option D, none of the above so yeah, yeah. yeah. Then they now say lifeline phone a friend so you go what do you know about Kunle also Something like that, right? Um, totally all right. If you are thinking of that decision now, just calm down, all right. Um, but or maybe for you, it is I'm um, praying for, for, for the girl that I should marry. Option A, brown skinned girl, option, uh, uh, um, but, or, or maybe it's even praying for career direction, praying for play, no, playing like now you are playing for career direction. Option A, endure with my current job, option B, um, vex and go, option C. You know, sell my children a jackpot or like that. So, so you, you, the other lifelines that we use are things like ask Google. So you go on Google and you know questions you type. If somebody is being frustrated on their job, should they leave? You know the kind of questions they type, right? Just basically this thing of, I have a decision in front of me. If I get it right, because it's a real tension to look at a decision and feel like I can lose it all um, by just getting it wrong. I feel like I, but I feel like I actually smell greatness. I just don't know which option to pick. Um, maybe you've actually, this morning as we speak, you know that you've made some very stupid decisions that you are not even proud of. Real life decisions. Because there are actually, obviously, different types of decisions. Like, you can be going home at night, and you want to buy bread. A decision of, should I buy coconut bread, or should I buy butter bread? It's a decision, right? And sometimes you're not sure, you're not sure, mm, you should pick one, and so on, right? okay? Or there are decisions of staring at a menu in a restaurant, right? And you're just like, which one should I pick? And That's my wife, like, ah, which one? Then you, Eventually, it's still the one I picked that she wants. I, all right. um, or you, you, maybe you even go somewhere and it's like um, jello fries but the way they spell it they wrote jello fries let me advise you, jello fries is, okay, anyway. Okay, or, or maybe it's decisions like, what should I wear? You woke up this morning and it's like, what should I wear? All right, um, maybe it's like, ah, oh, should I wear this, like, hot skirt? It's a little short, not too short. Kind. Mm, of wear, let me tell you what, God, God doesn't want you to wear it. okay? Um, or, or things like, should I go on with this relationship? Should I go into marriage? Or should I just quickly break? Um, where should I live? Should my family relocate to where? The grass looks greener, you know? What career move should I make? What do I do with a stubborn child? Should I offer them for adoption, you know? Um, or maybe even decisions like your sexuality this morning, gender, all of that, you know. Uh, how should we have our baby? CS? Or should we just, you know, push? Are we Hebrew women? You know, all this kind of thing, all right? So life is really a long story of decision after decision, a whole long story. And this is the truth. We may not have freedom. We have freedom of decision, right? We have freedom of decision, but we don't have freedom from the consequences of our decisions, right? We have the right to make our choices, but our choices, major ones, minor ones, will inevitably be making. Us. they're telling the story of where our lives are headed so last week we tried to establish that um, there's a beautiful thing called God's will for our life and that God is for us and that in his will he is actually for us and more than what we want as good he even wants it more for us right we tried to establish that last week and that it is given to us if we would be given to it so today I want to just take it a step further and share with you on obviously what I call how to make great decisions because I really believe that it's in your reach to be making incredible, brilliant, winning, life-giving, beautiful decisions every single day of your life. And I hope that I can show you today that through the help of the Holy Spirit, you can live your life making decisions at a God-inspired level, all right? So let's start from Romans chapter 8, verse 14, and we'll build a conversation out from there. Romans 8, verse 14 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, right? For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So catch that. If you are a child of God, you have the privilege of making decisions from a level, please keep it up, where you can say, the Holy Spirit is leading me. The Holy Spirit is the one influencing me, alright? You have the privilege of the guidance and the influence of the Holy Spirit if you are a child of God. But maybe you're here this morning. And I say, I'm not even certain that I am a child of God, alright? The good news is, before the end of this service, you can get that right, okay? So just track with me this is for all of us so i'll start by making an introduction or just look at the person of the holy spirit there so i'm going to start by making whether an introduction or a reintroduction to the holy spirit this morning let's introduce the holy spirit and how we should be thinking and this is why it is so important that we start thinking about the holy spirit if god has a good plan for your life if God truly has, and we've said that God is for us, God has a good plan. If he truly does, then how do I even know it? It feels like it can be far away. But listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit within him? How can I know what you are thinking? It's your spirit within you that knows what you are thinking. It says, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God. So when God says, I have good thoughts for you, thoughts of good, not of evil. God has thoughts about your future, about your life. It says, nobody knows the thoughts of God. God except the spirit of God so that spirit of God that knows the thoughts that God has for us is then given to us so we're now saying that we have the Holy Spirit that if we're children of God we have the Holy Spirit we have the privilege of doing life with someone who actually knows the thoughts and the beautiful plans that God has for our lives so I think it's humbling That the Holy Spirit would dwell in us. It's humbling that the thoughts that God has for our lives can be given to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So God gives us that Holy Spirit to start to lead us. And, you know, that's why it says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, we become led by the Spirit of God into the beauty of God's plans for our lives. But maybe you would say this morning, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? Like maybe, oh, I'm actually a, like, actually I'm a baby Christian, you know? uh," All right. Listen, yes, you do have the Holy Spirit if you are a Christian. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And just look at the last line there. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. I'll show you the Living Bible. Romans 8, verse 9. It says, If you don't have the Spirit, remember that if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ living in him, he is not a Christian at all. That every one of us that are Christians, we actually have the Spirit of Christ living in us. What they call it the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, same person, we have Him living in us. So as long as we're Christians, in fact, what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 shows us is that the very decision by which you say, Jesus is Lord. Look at that last line. Nobody, all right? Can say, no one can say, Jesus is my Lord except by the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you even being a Christian was by the working of the Holy Spirit at a certain level, all right? But now that you are a Christian, you have that Spirit of God present in you. The Bible teaches in Ephesians 4 that you are sealed by the Spirit that He's given to us, all right? So if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. The problem here is this. Many times I feel that there's this cultural or maybe peer pressure description of the Holy Spirit. And so rather than pursuing a genuine relationship with the Holy Spirit, in the simplicity of what the Bible teaches us, we find that we're simply benchmarking ourselves and our experience of the Holy Spirit by other people's experiences. So my advice to you, everybody, would be that you allow the Holy Spirit to be who he is, not who you think he has to be. I'll say that again. Allow the Holy Spirit to be he is, not who you think He has to be. For example, the Holy Spirit is not a physical being. That's why you said He's a spirit. You called Him a spirit. So don't judge His presence or His absence by physical things. You know, ah, how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? You know, I, I, I didn't fall down or I didn't cry enough or this thing. You know, and it's basically judging the presence or the absence of the Holy Spirit by physical things and this is the deal if something is not physical then it is not physical it's like i say to 10 people here i was offering worship team in first service that i want to credit all of them with 10 million they said, i'm too poor i can't do so i won't even offer them but if i pick 10 people in this church and i say i'm going to credit all of them with 10 million now how many of you are up for it okay all right um, okay okay Just put your hand up first put your hand up first all right so if I tell people I'm going to credit them with 10 million now, okay? And then I say now, and I say, all of you submit your account numbers, and then, bam, all of them. Now, somebody sees their lot and just starts jumping and running outside. Yeah, 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 Jesus, Jesu, shit, Jesu, and runs, all right? Somebody else comes and just starts crying, oh, and falls on the floor and rolls and says, oh, God. Somebody says, I still believe you are moving, Lord. Somebody, somebody else just, you know, somebody else just says, come on. Then one other guy just looks at it and says, Mado, you know, you know, stuff like that, all right? Now, the person who jumped and started running and crying and all of that, and everybody sees her and says, what happened? She received $10 million now, right? Then the other guy that just said, come on, is now like, am I sure I actually got what she got? Because I didn't respond the way she responded. Now, but you're going to say you responded based on who you are, not based on what you were given. The response is about you, not about the Holy Spirit. So somebody is crying, the Holy Spirit is not a spirit of tears, it's us, we're vulnerable. Somebody fell down, it's me, it's my brokenness, it's where I am, I laugh, I cry, that's all fine, but it's who we are, not who he is. And so what I'm trying to say this morning is, don't judge your own experience based on somebody else's experience. Let the Holy Spirit be to you who he really is, according to what the Bible teaches you. Our physical reactions are based on who we are, you know. Um, So now the word is that the Holy Spirit will lead us, he will guide us, all right, the Holy Spirit doesn't take over our right to make decisions. He doesn't force himself on us. He's a gentle spirit. He's a real person, not just your thoughts, not just your conscience. Like, yeah, there's one. My conscience told me so. Is the Holy. "No, no, no." Let me even do a separation. Romans chapter nine, verse one, between your conscience and the Holy Spirit. Paul says, "I'm speaking the utter truth." Romans nine one NLT with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. Look at this. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. Two different things. I have my conscience. And I have the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, there's a double confirmation in my heart about what I'm saying. Now, your conscience um, is a moral compass that is given to you by God, all right? But it's subject to what you train it for. Which is why somebody is killing another human being and believes he's doing right. Why? He's been trained for that. All right, so the conscience is subject. He's not just trying to do evil. He's actually trying to please God. He kills another human being, all right, because of the training of conscience, right? So our conscience is subject to how we train it now. The beautiful thing is that the Holy Spirit, as you walk with him, can help you to train your conscience to be in tune with what God wants for you. Isn't that a beautiful place to be? You can train your conscience, all right, to be in the place where God wants it for you. But he is in himself a gentle presence, consistent presence in the life of a Christian towards the will of God. All right? Now, in Psalm 32, verse 8, the Lord says, I will guide you. I'm sorry. Did you change the color of my time? I'm struggling to see it well. If you can make it bright, I'll appreciate it. Thanks. All right. In Psalm 32, verse 8, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway um, for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. All right. That's good. Thanks. I will guide you. Don't look back. Along... <laughs> The best pathway. This is God saying, like, just a guy's influence. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you. I will watch over you. In, some, in Genesis 6 and verse 3, the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. My spirit, he's not this, like, striving, like, you go. I, I said you must go. He said, no, that's not my plan for you. Like, I'm forcing you into the life. The Holy Spirit is a gentle, consistent presence in the life of a Christian. So 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19 will tell you, don't quench the spirit. Don't quench him. Let me try and show you a picture today of how the Holy Spirit will lead us as Christians towards making great decisions in the will of God for our lives. Do you want that this morning? All right, look at somebody and say, you really need this actually. Now, in Acts chapter, so the first thing I'm going to say about how the Holy Spirit guides us Um, in making decisions, great decisions in the will of God is going to be the beauty of being an instructed person. The Holy Spirit leads us into a beauty where we would say about our lives that, man, I am an instructed person. Now in Acts chapter 8, we see Philip, you know a guy Philip, he runs up to this chariot and we see Philip in a spot on conversation with Utopia, you know like, you know that moment where you just get there, like how did you know what I was thinking about, right, right on point, right in time, like man, how do you know, like I needed you to be here and all of that, and then you would ask Philip, man Philip, how do you know, how are you that smart, how do you calculate where the guy went, and what would Philip tell you, I was simply instructed instruction makes your life look beautiful just that sense of I'm obeying one who has a plan who sees the plan who has a good rhythm it's nothing about my smartness I was simply acting as an instructed person or you would go to Acts chapter 9 and you ask Ananias, How did you know that you should invest yourself in Paul? Like Paul is the guy that was going to be the greatest apostle of that time. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and Paul will tell you, Man, I thank the Lord that Ananias came to me on the day he came to the house where I was. And you say, Ananias, how did you know? Were you praying? Were you just, just smart? And blah blah blah. Ananias will tell you, it was simply an instruction I was obeying. Oh, there's a beauty when we can say we're instructed people. Verse 11 of Acts chapter 9, the Lord said to Ananias, arise and go to the street called Street. Go there and inquire at the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus, because he's praying. And so Ananias actually had his fears and his concerns about Paul, but listen verse 15, the Lord said to him, go for he's a chosen vessel of mine. So Ananias goes, and there's a beauty that comes into our lives when we're simply walking in obedience to the one who knows the plans that he has for us. You know, it's a glorious future that God knows that he has for us. He has it all figured out. And so, obedience, what is obedience? Obedience is doing what he tells you to do. So, friends, let's remember, all right? God is good. I tried to establish that last week. God is good. And so, we should rediscover the vibe and the joy of obeying a good God. We shouldn't make it look like, ah, I have to do this thing again. Ah, God said I should, ah, oh. There's a vibe and a joy. We should be like that girl who they're taking on uh, for a surprise proposal, and she has kind of suspected that he wants to propose. And, you know, they're like, ah, uh, babe, enter the car. She's like, eh, Okay. (laughs) There's a joy and an expectation when you obey a good person. Do you get what I'm trying to say? But there are people that you'll be around, some of your guys, and they'll say, close your eyes, and you'll say, for what? Do you you get what I'm trying to say? All right? But there's a beauty of, I'm obeying God. We should be excited. That's why David says, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house. There's a joy. Serve the Lord with gladness, not with sadness or madness. There's a joy of obeying a good God. Amen? So let me help you, friends. Whenever you obey God, it is a great decision. Whenever you obey God, it is always a great decision. And please remember that obedience is better than sacrifice. It's not about disobeying God and trying to make it up to God like, well, me, I shan't know what... No, no, no. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Whenever... The truth is you can't scam God. Whenever you obey God, it is always a great decision. Now, in obedience, I'm not saying that, you know, you must hear one voice in your sleep and all of that. I'm saying start from the things you know. There are, there are so many things in the Bible to obey at a general level, even at a dummy level, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 do not neglect, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. Don't neglect the gathering, all right, of coming up. What is that? Don't forsake going to church. It's not how you feel on a Sunday morning. No, it's an instruction that you obey. Do you get what I'm trying to say this morning? All right? Don't neglect the gathering of God's people. Rejoice in the Lord. It is obedience. Do not be unequally yoked. It's obedience. That's what I'm saying. Obey at a general level. From Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with the first... Fruit, honor the Lord with your possession and with the first fruit of all your increase. When you bring your tithe to God and he said, this is the first of my increase, you are being obedient, all right? And there is a beauty. Whenever you obey God, it is a beautiful decision. It is a great decision whenever you obey God. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 14, all right? General things in the Bible that call for obedience, I honestly think that we are probably more disobedient than we think we are. Even just in general things, the most basic things that God has given us. Because this is the beauty. God calls us to obey him so that he can put our lives in a beautiful rhythm. It's for our good that we obey God. All right? It's always a great decision when you obey God. There's a beauty and a rightness to your life when it is in the pathways of obedience. Now, this is what I think is our issue. I think that our issue is that many of us, we're very dramatic. We like dramatic things. So it's like, the kind of thing you like to hear is like, "Ha, ah, you know, I was just standing there. The Spirit told me to take two steps to my right. Eh, ah, I took two steps to my right. Then one trailer from nowhere, Whew, just pushed like that. I even felt the wind. Then you say, hey, it pays to obey God. Right? We like drama. But what I'm saying is, even when nothing dramatic happens, there's a beauty to your life by obeying God. Is the day you say I escaped accident? How do you know that by obeying by obeying God and being in church this morning, how do you know you're not escaping a fire outbreak somewhere? How do you know? Is it until you see drama? Is it until you see that ah, in fact, immediately I left that place? And the spirit just moved, I just moved, and as I left two minutes, trailer just fell, eh, okay. Did day nothing fail? Who told you you're not being saved? There are perils every day, everywhere. But there's a beauty to your life. If all you think God saves you from is the things you see, you are joking. There's a beauty to your life by just walking in obedience, even without drama. All right? Look at somebody and say, do you actually need a dramatic life to know that God is good? Do you need drama? You don't know how many times you've been saved from things you don't even know. Somebody says, ah, you know, pastor, I haven't even been in church for four weeks. I was just kind of not really. But I just kind of came today and, man, I had to be here. Today was a word for me. I just knew God. Listen, all the four weeks you were supposed to be there. You just don't know why you even missed those four weeks. That's what I'm saying. Must it be dramatic? And listen, I'm not saying every service must be one. Not every medicine is painkiller. Some are to boost your immunity for 10 years' time. Yeah. I don't know if you heard what I just said. Yeah. It's not until you come to church and it's like, hey, if I didn't hear that, this week would have been different. It can be 10 years of your future. Hallelujah. That God is addressing now as you are sitting here. Don't need drama. Don't associate God with drama down to that. Hey, whoa, oh, here you are. Ah, man, that's a move of God. No don't need drama. Look at somebody again and say, do you need drama to know that God is good? Do you? <laughs> Obedience is underrated. Isaiah 1 verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. You will. Friends, one instruction from God can save you years of pain. That you won't even know you escaped. One instruction, one prompt, one nudge from God can give you, it can give you the fish that has coin in his mouth. The investment opportunity that has a future. Do you get what I'm trying to say? One notch from God. The relationship that is going somewhere. One notch from God. The dream relationship. And please hear me well. When I say obedience, I'm not saying obeying opinions of commercial prophets. That's not what I said. Mm-hmm, the way I look at you, you must study Yoruba because you're a star. Mm-mm, that's not what I said. Mm-hmm. Ah. Mm, you must not marry Igbo. Sir, you are high on the go. That is what I want to tell the person. I'm not telling you about the opinion of commercial prophets. Ah, hmm, the way I'm looking at your son and that girl, they are not for each other. They are star. They are des- mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. What God says is consistent with what He wrote in the Bible. That's what I will tell you. What God says is consistent with what He wrote in the Bible. Maybe you would say to me this morning, like, ah, the, the thing is me, I don't hear, yeah, you know, these things. The reason why I sometimes just, I, there's one man that I pay, that man can hear God, you know. So the guy comes and he tells you, hmm, ah, the way I see you, you have three brothers. You say, ah, yes, sir, yes, sir. You say, ah, you grew up in Portacot. You say, ah, wow, wow. Do, do you think Satan doesn't know where you grew up? Why are you looking for drama? No, you didn't hear what I said. You think Satan doesn't know how many brothers you have? what you think so it's surprising when you are looking for drama you will find drama the devil can transform himself to an angel of light that's what your Bible says if you are looking for an angel you will see one I just don't know where he came from that's all I don't know you say I must see an angel he can come I just don't know where he came from that's what I just told you if you want to hear a voice you will hear a voice all right don't be dramatic see there's a difference between supernatural and spectacular the supernatural can be spectacular but that it is spectacular does not make it supernatural. Elijah said, I'm looking for God. There was an earthquake, but he said God was not in the earthquake. There was a fire, but God was not in the fire. There was a wind, but God, and God came in a still small voice. Does that mean God can never come in an earthquake? No. When Paul and Silas sang and prayed, God came in an earthquake, right? Does it mean God cannot come in a fire? No, Elijah called down fire and God came in a fire. Does it mean God cannot be in a wind on the day of Pentecost? He came in a mighty rushing wind. But you do not equate earthquake to God. Yes, sir. You don't equate fire to God. You don't equate wind to God. You follow God. He shows up how he wants to show up. God is not an earthquake. God is not a bottle of oil. Let me help you this morning. God is not a handkerchief. Okay. (laughs) All right. So here's what I'll tell you. At some level, the burden of God speaking to you of communication must be on the communicator to come clear not even on the communicatee, hey. to carry all that pressure you know the pressure we carry how can i ever hear god how can i uh, okay hundred ways to hear god ten ways to discern my at some point i'm like can you give god a lecture on how to speak to humans because of the way we behave that's the way i feel many times god knows what you can handle and he knows how to speak to you yes. you are his child my sheep know my voice It doesn't have to be dramatic. He knows how to reach you where He knows what you can handle per time. So maybe I should show you two things that you should constantly do. Number one, keep a right posture. A right posture is a willingness and a desire. It is Samuel saying, I'm not even sure what this is, but I'm trying to figure this out. It's a right posture and a desire for God to reach me and speak to me, okay? In the right structures. But secondly, read God. Read God. Read your Bible. Have a quiet time. That's what Christians do. Not pastors, Christians. Read your Bible. It's amazing how people don't even read that, but you don't have a quiet time. You don't don't read that, but I want to hear God's, I really want to hear the plan for the next 21 years of my life. you hear something. I just don't know who spoke to you. (laughs) The Holy Spirit helps us make great decisions. So first of all, there's the beauty of being an instructed person. That I can say, man, God is speaking to me Um, within the bandwidth of leading me in his will. The second thing I think the Holy Spirit does for us is uh, I would call the beauty of being a person of vision. A person of vision. A person of vision. Now, a person of vision makes decisions not merely by the apparent, but at a level that is more than the here and now. It's more than the hunger that I'm feeling now, more than my need now, more than my emotions, more than what people are saying, all of that. A person of vision has a sense of more. There's just that, man, I see more. You know, their decisions are in tune with the more that they know. They are well positioned with a sense of there's tomorrow and I'm positioned for it. So what the Holy Spirit does is that he empowers us to make great decisions by giving us that sense of more listen to John 16 verse 13 it says when the when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you look at that word again guide you not force you not coerce you but guide you into all truth for he would speak he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and look at this he will tell you things to come so the Holy Spirit starts to give us that sense of what's ahead what's coming he's called the spirit of revelation All right. So he gives us a sense of vision so that out of a place of vision that is more than just the apparent, we can make great decisions. So by the help of the Holy Spirit, I believe that you can also start to even incline your life towards being a person of vision. Let me help you. Don't start by just saying, what should I do about this or about that? You know, should I do this? Should I not do that? What do I want to do? Start by, let me give you a vision question. The bigger question should be, who do I want to be? Do I want to be? What do I want my family to be? What do I want to become? Right? Who do I want to be? Let that be the fuel for what should I do? All right? So we behave like people of vision because we have the Holy Spirit. All right? When you're seeing that more, then you're not just going to be in a what do I do? How do I feel? You know, and all of that. Okay. Third thing I'll say this morning about how the Holy Spirit helps us make great decisions is what I call the beauty of trying within God's will. Of trying. Within God's will. The Holy Spirit would make you the kind of person that would see a bandwidth and you will try within the will of God. So uh, maybe it was, there was a day, not, a little while ago, that I really needed and I prayed for and wanted my children to disobey me. Um, and I'll tell you what happened. At the time, maybe they were like four and five, I think. It was a little while ago. And I was home alone with them, and then I needed to get something. I didn't want them to go with me to this um, um, place I was going to buy. So I I told them, I said, I want to go out. I'll leave you guys alone. Um, And they were like, don't come. I said, no, 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 don't worry, you'll stay home alone. Um, But I gave them very strict instructions, all right? I said, stay inside the house. Um, So we live alone in the compound. I said, don't come outside the house. Don't come outside the building. Um, So don't come to the gate at all. Don't come outside. I said, stay in the house. Just lock yourselves in there. I said, I will drive out. When I come back, I'll open the gate and come in myself. And then they kept asking me questions like, um, uh, what if somebody's knocking at the gate? I said, don't answer anybody. They said, what if, should we ask who is it? I said, don't ask. Ignore. Just stay in the house as if you are not there, right? I don't want trouble. My wife must don't know I left you alone. You know. So I'm like, so I'm like, don't go out. Just stay in the house. And they, I said, promise me, swear. Okay, they, 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 they said. They said, what if this person? I said, don't answer. They said, can we just? I said, don't, don't. Just ignore. Stay in the house. I'm going. I'll be back. 30 minutes or something. Okay. So I went. I did what I wanted to do quickly. Drove back. You know, and then got to the gate. When I got to the gate, I then realized apparently because they shut the gate when i left they locked it from inside so i couldn't open it with my key so i'm like kids today you need to disobey me so i'm like foray i start calling their names no answer mm-hmm. I said to them, "Man, I, I need you. I pray disobey me today." Like, like I, start, I mean, normally you disobey me. So please, let today, man. I'm pray. I'm sure. Sh- I call their names. They don't answer. Wow. I start banging the gate. No, no answer. Ah, thinking, hey God. And I had a meeting. I was trying to get in and log in for my meeting. Ah, man, what will I do? Ah, man, what will I tell my wife? I start thinking, man, I can't jump over. What will I? So I'm thinking, ah, man, 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 man. I call. I shout. Then at some point, I say, okay, maybe they need to know it's me. Maybe they hear my voice, but they're not sure. So I start taking items from inside my car and throwing it over so I don't see so I threw over a tennis ball I was throwing can they not no, no answer <sighs> at some point I then took a paper I wrote a note I wrote for Sorry, it's daddy I'm the one I threw it over the, then the wind blew I wasn't sure if it landed down in water I didn't know what I, had. <sighs> I was there Actually, then I called my wife I confessed to her I said babe I, I left them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> She said we will pray that they will disobey <laughs> so I'm there. I'm shouting. Then at the point, I then said, "Okay, okay, maybe because I'm calling their names. Maybe we have some stories that I tell them when I'm driving them." To school. So so I, I go to the gate. I start shouting, "Mr. Skuru, Skuru!" <laughs> <laughs> eventually, at some point, eventually, after quite a while, um, my daughter then comes and then opens the gate. And then she's like, something just made me... uh, (laughs) Yeah, but but I'm like, thank you for disobeying me. Thank you (laughs) today. Thank you. But, But you know when parents actually say that they want their children, all I want is perfectly obedient children. Do you actually... Do you actually want perfectly, let me show you what a perfectly obedient child looks like. It looks like you go to your child's room at 6 a.m., you wake up and you, and you say, stand up, and he stands up. You say, go to the bathroom, he goes. You say, brush your teeth, He brushes. stop, He stops. Put soap on your body, pause, go, wear your underwear, your uniform, put on, go and eat, eat, stop. Go to the car, he goes to the car. We drive to school. You say, come down, come down. Go and meet your teacher. He goes. Then you come and pick him. You say, come inside. He comes in. Right? Perfectly obedient. Child. No. And he never disobeys you. Never. I promise. Never. So you get back home. You say, you know, change. Change. All right? Each of eats. Come on. Okay. Go and play. Play. Stop. Stop. <laughs> he comes back. Then next morning. That was Monday. So on Tuesday, you go back 6 a.m. Wake up. He wakes up. He's looking at you. Say, go to the bathroom. He goes. Brush your teeth. brushes. How many of you want a perfectly obedient child? (laughs) Do you want a perfectly obedient child or do you want a child that is maturing to know your heart? That by the time you got to his room on Tuesday, he's like, dad, are we not going to school? We're almost running like, yeah, that's my child. You understand the bandwidth of what we are trying to do. And so you are maturing towards knowing it. Are you here this morning? So why do you think that God is looking for perfectly obedient children? Waiting for God to tell me, Okay. you look looking at the relationship like this. He has not told me to do it. Okay. There's a beauty of trying within the bandwidth of God's will. Let me show you Romans chapter 1, verse 10. Look at what Paul says. Romans 1, verse 10. Paul says, I'm longing, making requests, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. That there's a bandwidth of God's will. I see it, and I'm trying to say, can I find a way for what I'm trying to do in the will of God? So in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 13, when you read verse two of Acts chapter 13, in the early church, they were ministering and they were fasting and praying. And the Lord, the Spirit, now aside from instruction, so you, it's never a ground to disobey, all right? But the Holy Spirit said, they heard him expressly, expressly spoke. Now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I've called them. He spoke to them that separate these guys. And so if you ask these guys two weeks later when you saw them in this mission field, why are you here? Do you know what they'll tell you? The Holy Spirit told us to be here. That's good Christianity, isn't it? But let's track three chapters forward. Let's get to Acts chapter 15 now and verse 33. And after they had stayed there for a while, they were sent back, give me verse 34. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain in Antioch. So you meet Silas and you say, "Why are you in Antioch?" He will say, "Seems good to me." Ah, but Silas, three chapters ago, the Holy Spirit was speaking. But now, you have gotten to a place where I know what seems good—not that it feels good. Mm-mm. Seems good. And so, in verse thirty-five, Paul and the others also stayed there with him. So you meet them and say, "Why are you guys here?" It seemed good. In fact, when you read Acts 16, give me verse, um, verse, Acts 16, give me Acts um, 16, thank you, verse 6. They had gone through Phrygia, so now these guys know that within the bandwidth of God's will, we're on assignment, the missionary journey, you know, they're preaching, they're trying to do that. They had gone through Phrygia and the religion of Galatia, now they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit now stopping them, not starting them. Why? Because there's a bandwidth. They already know what he's about. That's what I'm trying to say. That you start to know what God is about and you make decisions in that. But the Holy Spirit is the one stopping them. They were forbidden to preach the word in Asia. Now, look at verse 7. After they had come to Messiah, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. But look at that word. They tried. They tried. All right? Tried. Why did you try? Because it's within the frame of what we know God has sent us to do. I tried to preach to that my neighbour. Huh? Some of you is that if God wants me to preach to me, will tell me to. Pray. Uh-uh. It's the only thing that stopped them, not that started them. Are you carrying me today? Yes, they tried, but the Holy Spirit did not per- uh, permit them. And so I believe that within the bandwidth of God's will, they, there's a sense of you get to a place where you start saying, "I see what God is doing. I see what God is about." I see the framework of what God is doing in my life, what God is doing in the earth. I see what God is doing. And within that bandwidth, I see what matters to God. I see what pleases God. I see the heart of God. And within that bandwidth, God's heart for marriage, God's heart for life, God's heart for productivity, God's heart for family, God's heart for children. I see it. And I start to say what seems good within that. In fact, let me show you an interesting scripture because in Acts chapter chapter 15 verse 28, these guys now make this statement. They, now, they are like making a decision. They now said, yeah, that it actually seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Uh-uh. You know when you have a child that is now putting opinion in your discussion? That, ah, uh, Holy Spirit, yeah, okay, that's what the Holy Spirit say, but we incur, yes, okay, both of us agree. Do you get, seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's maturity. Hebrews 5 verse 14, last scripture on this. Solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is by reason of use. Somebody say reason of use. They have their senses exercised. That that exercise starts to tell you the difference between good and evil. There's mental, there's sense exercise, like carrying weight. You use it, and you start to know the difference. Amen. All right. Um, let me do one more. Two more. Is They helping anybody? Yeah. <laughs> All right. um, how else does the Holy Spirit help us to make great decisions? Let me talk about the beauty of being aware and thinking critically. The Holy Spirit makes you aware and helps you to think critically. In Luke 14, Jesus is telling this story, parable, about how from verse 28, if you intend to build a tower, what are you going to do? You will first sit down and count the cost. And you know, do I have enough to finish this? That, that's what will determine the decision you make. So, Jesus was saying it's a valid principle for making decisions, like count the cost. Then he goes on to say that, or if you do that and you, you don't finish it, people will mock you. Then he says, or oh, what king in verse 31 who is going to war against another king will not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet the person that's coming against him with 20,000? So if not, while the other, he'll quickly stop you, ask for conditions of peace. So the point here is that Jesus was talking about discipleship and all, but he was sharing with us a valid principle for making decisions, that the Holy Spirit makes you aware and gives you wisdom to think. Just aware, what do I have, right? Should we start the project? Should we have another baby? You know, should should my business start a new outlet? It's a simple thing of being aware of what do I have. You know, what can I afford? What are the implications of doing this? Like an awareness. And then he gives us the wisdom to make critical decisions. So what I would say to us is that it is not a spiritual thing to be spontaneous with your life. It's not. It's not Christian to just be winging everything. You know, how are you going to, um, which I just see. It's not spiritual to be spontaneous. Jesus is teaching and saying, sit down, count the cost. What can you afford? What can you do? And let me ask you this morning, how aware are you? How aware aware are you of where you are? How aware are you of where you are? How aware are you of what you have? You know, the gifting, the resource, and all of that. You have resource. I know people as simple as people in church, for example, you live in an area that is far away, and you have a car, you drive to church. I think you know somebody, and I know people in this church who, somebody who lives not too far, comes along with them to church, and all of that. Why? Because they have a car, Did God tell them that, pick that person every Sunday. No, it's just I'm aware of what I have, and then I use what I have. That's what Jesus is teaching. That the Holy Spirit makes you aware of the advantage, of the resource, of what you have, the gifting, of, you know, and all of that. And when you're aware, look at what he said about the guy who builds a tower. He says the guy knows what he has, and he starts a project and completes it. So there's a sense of what can I build with what I have my gifting what can I build what can I build the resources that are given to you are to be used not just to be kept all right God wants you to be aware so the Holy Spirit helps you make great decisions by making you aware you are more gifted than you think you are you're anointed to do stuff you just find that you're good with conversations you find that I have a skill I have an ability and all of that in that space of awareness you then start to say how can I use it and it will be a great decision that's what I'm trying to say to you all right so the Holy Spirit makes us aware Right? Now, on the flip side of this, I'm not saying that we are, hear me well. I'm not saying that we are limited by what we don't have, all right? Um, but I'm saying that we are aware of what we don't have. Sometimes the margin becomes a faith distance. Sometimes that sense of I, it seems good to me that it is time to marry, but the resource and all is not okay. So it becomes a faith distance. When it becomes a need, God can supply. You didn't hear what I just said. I said, when it becomes a need, my God shall supply your need, not the projects that you have not planned. you get? When it becomes a need, God can supply. So sometimes the awareness is simply, man, this is the margin. This is what I'm in faith for. This is what I'm believing God for. This is the margin to do what I think I should be doing. All right? But that space of being aware, not just winging your life, like just taking, let's just see, let's just, sing. no, a Christian is an intentional person. All right? Um, let me do one more and then I would start getting ready to close. The power of decisions Now, all the others were beauty, but this one, I said, let's make it power. The power of the decisions before the decision. How does the Holy Spirit help you to make great decisions? I think by the power of the decision um, before the decisions. So this Friday is Passion Night. So I will now call on our worship pastor, Mr. Victor Agu, to tell us about Passion Night. (laughs) (laughs) okay the power of decisions before the decision (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) in case you don't know she's my wife so let's just get out of the way so this Friday okay the power of decisions (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay okay the power of decisions before the decision so so I, I you know on, on election day in Nigeria, we had presidential elections in February, so many people that they're aggressive, you know, the morning of the election, ah, your candidate, the way people carry their candidates, ah, you almost think, eh, do you know in person, you know, like, he uh, carried it, like, ah, this, this, yeah, is the, yeah, this is the person we are pushing, and I won't measure it, but some of you know, you know, they carried, ah, you know, you followed Supreme Court, in the, you know, <laughs> carried it. And at some point, sometimes you now call some of them, uh, you now even ask one or two questions, and there was this statement that would typically come out, they would now say, see, the point is this, we know that out of these three, one is going to win. So this is the best, this is the best. I know that many of them are this, and all of them are not, not, not but, but out of the three, so, so this is the point. That morning when you went to the election and you said, this is, this is my decision, and you went home and said, I've put my candidate. Actually, if you really had a decision, that would not be the person you'd be voting. But there were decisions that had been made that narrowed the decision you could make. Are, are you hearing me this morning? So in other words, your real choice was not what you did that morning. It was really the decisions that had already positioned you for this decision. And today what I want to tell you is if we can be thinking about making great decisions and thinking of it by actually it's not first the decision I'm making. It's the decisions before the decision I'm making. I'll tell you what I'm saying. If you're going to be a person that makes great decisions, then you're going to make the great decisions before the great decision. Let me help you. If you are looking for a fish, eh, the decision to be around a river, water, lake, wherever, it's already 90% of you finding a fish. Eh, the decision to go to water, not bush, do you, get, you will not be by the bush and fish, do you get all things being equal. <laughs> so the decision to say, I'm um, just by the water is first the decision. I want to have a happy marriage and choose, okay, uh, the big problem of some of you is not who you will marry, is that in the last five years you have not even had sensible community around you. Friendship. I'm not saying life partner first. I'm saying the decision to just even have, the only thing that interests you about being around people is people that you can abuse yourself. Mado, your papa. yeah, that is like, then one day you now say, Lord, lead me to life partner. It's, it's the decisions of the last five years. Be in church, be around. But every day you say, hey, I shall go to church. You shall come in before the end. The, as they're about to start closing up, you have crossed the road. Okay. Then two years later, you're now... you now go to Shiloh. Lord... <laughs> <No. laughs> let me just help you, what I'm saying (laughs) what I'm saying is that is that all things being equal all I'm saying, that all things being equal a fish will not jump out of a bush that's all I'm trying to say some of you don't know that when I say the beauty of obedience is just setting your life in order. When I say things like that. And I'm saying just the obedience of being in the house of God. It's not a joke. God has designed a Christian's life to function out of a place of family. It's not a joke. That obedience, that beauty, of that decision. You don't know that the decisions of being in God's house for the last five years. You don't know what it has even done. Even without drama. Even without drama. Maybe hell of that. You say mm, everything. You're saying being in church. Being. is you only in church that... Well, I believe that for a Christian to function right according to God's design, there's something about being connected to a local assembly. And so, if you're hearing what I'm saying and you're saying, eh, the issue is that, you know, Mount Church," I don't really like, let me help you. Leave. Leave. Don't be in a church you don't believe in, whether this church or any church. Because you need to be able to plant yourself. That's how you grow. So a tree that is dancing around the ground and saying, I don't really believe in the ground, I don't, leave, go and find the ground you believe in. But you need somewhere that, you say, the reason why I don't really give, what are they even related? If you don't trust the integrity of a church, leave. You, with the way, especially like this Nigeria, you now go to everyone and say, God, you know, the church, ah, even angels just with slap, with the number of churches, you go, for, ah, well, something's wrong with you. It's the truth. So that when you are there, you know this is my ground. This is where I find community, I find connection, I put my gift, I serve, I receive. There is something integral about what God does in a Christian's life that's connected to his body. So honestly, with all due respect, I honestly tell people that. I've had people walk up to me in this church who say, I'm in a place I don't really, I say, honestly, I would encourage you, I would support you to go where you believe if it's a church. Not to, leave the, not to leave the universal church. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yes, but if it's to leave a local church, well, I might not understand why, but it's a decision I always respect. Because what I want to show up to every Sunday morning, I want to show up to a people that believe in the vision of this house. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like when I'm praying and I'm saying, God, give us a word. I, I know I'm bringing something. Do you feel like sitting down in church this morning? Do you feel like you're in your church? That's yeah. the point. That's the point. That's the point. So at some point, you can't do anything more when they just say everything is annoying you. Everything is, hard. the way somebody, the way. Uh, uh. Well, maybe. The decisions before the decision. Decisions before the decision. The decision of who you would talk to. Man, I'm in a crisis moment. Ah, who can I talk to? And uh, who can? It was first the decision of before the crisis. Who are you honking out with? before the crisis. It is shown to be impartial night can save you from the decision of who will counsel me for depression. Or which therapy will be I night? Don't forsake the God. It's obedience. I'm telling you, it's obedience. So yes, When the church is doing what the church is doing, be in it. Be in it. What you didn't hear, what you didn't experience, what you didn't do could have changed your life. That's the truth. Many years ago, I remember as a young student on campus, for example, decision to school in OAU has already made you successful. You now start saying in which area or which endeavor of life, you know, things like that. It's decision before decision. Some of you, okay, you missed the UI part, but anyway, whatever. Anyway. um, But many years ago, I remember resuming as as a freshman on campus and saying, God, just give me a place. Give me a place. Find that place, show up, show up. Without drama, in season out of season. We will not, so, sometimes you sit down, somebody says, I want to have a conversation with pastor. Like, and I'm, I'm all, I'm, you know, like, how do you, how can one get anointed? Like, what happened there? Honestly, I don't know. All I know is the rhythms of obedience. All I know is going every day. The days that look boring, the days that look, the day that, the day that you dozed up, the day that you came again. I don't know why you dozed up when I'm preaching, but you dozed up, you came back. I don't know what, I don't know what's wrong with you. That's all I know. And I'm emphasizing for you the power of decisions. Before you now get to that place, hey, I'm really just confused about, it's decisions before the decision. So let me help you. Let me try and show you some of the decisions before decision. One of them, a big one, is our sense of value. Because I found that most of the things that people need help and counseling for today, I'm saying this as a pastor, are based on poor decisions before. Not the one that they've just, it's the one before or the decision they didn't make before that then grew and it's the fruit that they're addressing now. One big decision that you make ahead is the power of the right sense of value. Because at the end of the day, in this decision-making thing, eh, we will migrate towards our values. If it matters to you, it matters to you. There's nothing we can do about that. If it matters to you, it matters to you. When somebody says something like me, I can never, have, I know, I can never marry somebody who is, you know, not at financial level X. The truth is, if it matters to you, it matters to you. I I shall know, I can never marry a pastor. If it matters to you, I can never marry somebody that is older, that is, young, that is this, that is that, whatever. If it matters to you, like, the way some people say that if somebody is older, one day I ask somebody, I say, they say that, ah, you know, the problem is that this person is older, I say, yeah, okay. So if you just ask your parents, maybe your parents will call you and say, we have a confession actually. That when you are born, we said we don't want people to think you are, so we removed two years from your age. Will you feel different about yourself today? That's it. You are who you are. But anyway, if it matters to you, it matters to you. There's nothing anybody can tell you. At the end of the day, we migrate towards our values. And in maturity, where we want to be with God is that we want to be coming to a place, this is where you want to be with God. Where you are saying... God, what cards should be on the table? Not, what can you do with the cards I've put on the table? That's where you want to be with God. But the truth is, if something matters to you, you have already put a card, you have removed some cards, and you have said, God, what can you make? The decisions are that this and this and this, so God, what can you do with the rest? If it matters to you, it matters to you. You eventually make choices at the level of your sense of value. Your values will be pulling you. There's nothing anybody will say. I'm telling you. So the decision ahead about your values... Will determine the decision that will be great in the moment you're making it. So all I can say is invest towards having the right values. valuing right. Have those tough conversations with yourself. Learn. See, we are all self-absorbed and the problem with us is that we, when we are wrong, we don't even know we're wrong. You really believe those things. So you need to be able to expose yourself to learn in the direction of God's word. To learn. To grow. So that there's that sense of the underlying my life are the right sense of values. So let me help you with, with this. You remember a guy called um, Jacob. Jacob was Esau's brother, right? Right. Now I'm going to show you about Esau making a very, very stupid decision. You know, you know the big Esau decision. He sold his birthright for Azaru. Eh? Okay. So you you are about to condemn Esau, right? We're about to. In fact, the Bible does. But let me first show you about Jacob, his brother, because years later, after Esau had done what Esau had done. Jacob didn't sell for food his birthright. Jacob sold his child for food. So I'll tell you how. You know there was farming. There was farming. Then they now said, he now sent his sons to Egypt and said go and bring food. So they went. Then they met Joseph who was now like ruler. And then Joseph said, where's that your youngest brother? They said, "Ah, our father will never release him. Joseph now said, except you come back with him. Don't come back here for food. So they came back and they told Jacob. Jacob said lie, lie. He will never release Benjamin. I've lost Joseph. I'll never release Benjamin. The Bible says Jacob said he will not. But the Bible says when the hunger, when the famine persisted, Jacob now said, ah, well, take Benjamin and go and bring food. What did he do? He sold his son for food. And he got away with it. But the guy that sold his birthright, I mean, birthright is my own now. It's not my child. It's me. It's, it's me that they used to call, but to, they stopped calling me, but I <laughs> But this guy sold his child for food. So I want you to see this because it was not so much about the decision of sale. It was sense of value. What did Esau sell? When you read in Hebrews Hebrews 12, verse 17, it tells you, Hebrews 12, verse 17, it says that Esau, afterward, he wanted to inherit the blessing. He was rejected because he found no place for repentance. Like he was trying to say, ah, I regret that mistake. Please, can I? He said he couldn't. So he couldn't get the blessing. That was, that was the point. So now let's go back to Genesis 25. Let's track it. Go back to Genesis. And then let's track it. Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. Hunger. <laughs> There's something they say, but I can't say it. Some people will say, oh my lady, hunger. <laughs> he said, I'm about to die. What is... What, like, what is look at what is birthright to me Express. then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob now go and Jacob gave Esau the bread and steel of lentils he ate and drank arose and went normally thus Esau look at the word despised his birthright it was a valid thing he said hunger birthright Now, what was the birthright? So let's track that. This birthright was coming from a man called Abraham, his grandfather, who had a covenant with God. There was something Abraham had with God. In that generation, only one person could have it, that God found a man, Abraham. Abraham was not an ordinary man. These guys grew up hearing stories of their grandfather. This guy is not ordinary. When 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 there's no water, this guy would dig. He would find water. God's hand was on him. He had a right standing, a covenant with God. That they would come and raid Abraham's house and go away. Armies. Abraham would call his houseboys. He would follow them. He would recover. Ev- they knew Abraham was not ordinary. Kings would tell Abraham, you are too mighty for us. Go away. Covenant with God. And when Abraham was going to die, he passed it to Isaac. And Isaac was carrying that same blessing that he received from his father. One in a generation. Isaac would dig the same wells that his own father dug. And he would find the same water. That Isaac, in the time of famine, Genesis 26, he sowed in that same land. The Bible says he ripped a hundredfold blessing and so Isaac was only going to pass it to one but there were twins in the womb so you remember when they were going to come out and there was a struggle for who would come out first it was not just about bother, it was blessing it was the power of blessing that two people were fighting for and Esau got this, Esau got the right to hurry the blessing as they were growing up in school, Jacob be looking at Esau even when Jacob gets 10, he matters and Esau fails, Jacob knows blessing is on that guy Jacob knows this guy is carrying something. Ah! And every day they would be going and Jacob would look at his brother and you carry something. There's nothing I would do that. You carry something. And so Jacob said, um, when he got the chance, he said, give me that birthright. And listen to Esau's words now. Esau said, I am hungry. What is birthright to me? What is my standing with God to me? when I'm hungry what is all this Christianity, Christianity, Christian value Even like I said people will make stupid decisions because they didn't value the covenant it's the decision before to value who Jesus is to you you wake up, you carry your family to any part of the world and you're not even asking what is our spiritual stand here because you never valued it before. There's nothing I will tell you. What matters to you will matter to you. Yeah. If all you want is to have a picture with the your at the back, you will have it. There's nothing I can tell you. All I'm saying is value right. It's not everything that is how much is the money. Value right. Do you value raising a generation? Do you value? That's what I'm trying to say. Do you value who Jesus is to you? When you don't have that sense of value, you shall be analyzing that guy. You saying, actually, you know, once in a while he goes to church, oh. for example, during his mommy's sister's birthday, he was in the service. <laughs> and Do you know what you are saying? What is covenant to me? I'm hungry. When you are hungry for marriage, then you will know what you really value. When you are hungry for a job, that's what everybody is doing. So I say the decisions before the decision will determine the great decision you will make. People will marry anything because they're hungry. 30% clapping. 70% is paining them. Ah, Jacob sold his son. He got away with it. Or somebody sold birthright. He said, I want to repent. There was no space for it years later he tried to say that thing that we used to uh, is value taking him away value who Jesus is to you value who Jesus is to you put God first in your life that's why I I, I shout these things every week honor God I know I'm saying this It's a decision before it's me on campus as a young man for years and years lifting your hands in the place of worship is it drama it's not drama but it's a sense of value you are building of you cannot lift your hands in worship so how will you honor god when you're all alone it's the decisions before that i've trained you to value god so in obedience god is training you you know value god value who jesus is with you let me help you with a few things you should also value value growth over convenience i think that would help you if you are gen z in church underline that one very well Value growth over convenience. Underline it if you are Gen Z. If you are not, if you are a millennial, you can just type. But Gen Z, underline it. That that is for me. Value growth over convenience. Value sincerity over impression. What people think of it, social media age. Value sincerity over impression. Because it will now inform the decision. See, the decision of whether you should post that picture or you should not post it is not as important as the first decision of what you value. If all you value is impression, right? It's likes you value, right? Sincerity. 1 Timothy 1 five. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. If all you value is what people think of you, you will make poor decisions. And I, I personally believe that when it comes to even decision-making, I personally believe that it's better... To be sincerely wrong than manipulatively right. When you are sincerely wrong, there's a rightness of heart. God can help you. But when you are manipulatively wrong, manipulatively right, like you do a right thing but with a manipulative heart, the heart is corrupted. What will God do? Sincere faith. Don't lose your sincerity, friends. Again, let me encourage you value direction over situation. What direction are you going? Over what situation are you in? As I close this morning, as I close this morning, maybe you hear everything I've said and you would say, ah, Good, but it's too late. Or it's late. That if I heard this five years ago, ten years ago, but as you're speaking, I know what you're saying. But it's just about when. And that's a real place to be because to be honest, we have all made mistakes. Please don't hear this preacher as somebody who is talking to you from a place of (laughs) perfection in the will of God. We have all made mistakes. So, maybe you would say, it's late, like I'm already in the wrong gang. Something has led to something like a web. This has happened to that. If I knew, like I know where I should have stopped it, blah, blah, blah. Um, I have one last thing to share with you this morning as I close. That I know on the one hand, there's the beauty of being a person that's instructed by God and things that would have saved your life from. But you disobeyed, made poor choices, did this, did that. Where you are right now, please hear me well and please hear me through. The next thing I want to say to you and the last thing I want to say is about the power of next best decisions and God's ability to use. The power of next best decisions and God's ability to use the power waiting for it, please. The power of next best decisions. Waiting for it, please. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Power of next best decisions and God's ability to use God's ability to use because in John chapter 11. We see Mary and, and Martha coming to Jesus in John 11 verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, I just want you to feel the pain of this crying woman who has just lost her brother. And it's this thing of, if this, if that, if that, this would not have happened. We won't be dealing with this. And she saying to God, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I guess. If I knew better. If I didn't do that. If I didn't make that poor choice, please come. If I didn't do that, didn't do that, didn't do that. Didn't do that. She said, my brother would not have died. And you know when we start questioning all the decisions that we have made and we start saying something went wrong there and we shouldn't have done that. And honestly, you can do all that analysis this morning and it can be very, very valid. But as she says those words to Jesus, she goes on in verse 22 to say some of the most powerful words that I see in the Bible. She says, but even now but even now and it's these three words that i really want to hit on for you she says if you had been here this would not have happened if that that would not have but even now but even now and i came today to tell somebody that in a story with jesus there is always a but even now when you're in a conversation with jesus when you are concerning to Jesus there is a but even now she said but even now I know that whatever you ask of God God will give to you and Jesus said to her your brother will rise again your brother will rise again Jesus comes with a statement of hope when somebody is crying out and saying if you had been if I had known if that had been different this would not have happened but she says but even now and in the but even now Jesus offers a statement of hope I believe that when Jesus went up on that cross he anchored an everlasting hope that there is nobody who would ever turn to the Lord and will not find hope i'll say that again there is nobody who would ever turn to the lord and will not find hope it doesn't matter who you are whether you are the dying thief on the cross that turns to the lord he ends the conversation with hope whether it's the prodigal son far away that turns back to the heart of the father he comes back to a statement of hope whether it is the prodigal son's brother that is not even far away but has just kind of been around not really been in it when he turns to the father it is always a conversation of hope and so today I believe that there's a weight of the will of God it's a weight of what God is inviting us to and just when you're about to say but you don't understand it's the mistake it's that it's that it's the poor decision um, what I want to invite you to today is the power of next decisions the power of next best decisions and that we can trust God's ability to use it for his glory so some years ago when when this whole thing of driving with maps came out I used to be very thrilled about it like ah uh, I can set a destination on my map and so I'll be driving the most basic distance and then I'll set a destination on my map and ask it to guide me and so start giving the instructions turn right and then I'll just be thrilled like how does it know where we are and all of that and then it would say turn left and I'll turn and then I'll make the turn and, and then it leads me home I was just so excited about it and then I remember one day as a young man I decided that what let me even test this thing so the guy is telling me that go straight and I says turn right and then I just insist I go straight and then I remember that day just being humbled by the words as I just started to see root recalculation root recalculation and then I heard the words okay go on turn right, turn left, and then you will get to your destination. Oh my God, I felt like I heard God's voice that day because I felt like many times in my life that's where I am. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told three stories. He told the story of the lost coin, of the lost sheep, and of the lost son. Listen, the lost coin was lost accidentally. Nobody loses money deliberately. The lost sheep was lost naturally because sheep would always stray. But the lost son was lost deliberately because he chose to go away. It was not about how they were lost. It was not about how the mistake was made. The story was about the finding power of God that in spite of your mistakes there is a God who is so expansive in his will that he can accommodate your mistakes no you didn't hear what I said I'll say it again no matter the mistake you have made there is a God that is so expansive in his will that he can accommodate your mistakes and he can say I would work all things together for your good because you love God there is no one that turns to the Lord and the veil is not taken away and now when we see him we are being transformed from where we are when we turn to the Lord today can be that day of hope for you not of regret in the wrong decisions you made but of hope that for the rest of my life I will make great decisions in the direction of who Jesus is to me he offers you hope he offers you a new beginning listen I choose to trust God's ability to use my mistakes even in his story I choose to trust God's ability even in my brokenness to use my mistakes and that's my invitation for you today would you look to Jesus today doesn't matter who you are near far from this moment you can start to tell a story of the best days of your life making great decisions in the rhythm of the beauty of god's will in jesus name amen do you receive god's word this morning will you stand to your feet if you're not standing so light up. we're going to take a moment to just pray today i don't know what this is for you i don't know where you are I don't know what's happening on your heart i don't know what is maybe even ringing at you but i just want to give you a moment to respond to god somebody's going to say spirit of god just welcome you. Just welcome your influence to lead me, to guide me. Here's where I want you to be. That you're going to say, for the rest of my life, I will make great decisions at a God-inspired level. Would you pray that for yourself today? And for the rest of my life, I will make great decisions at a God-inspired level. I believe God is good. I believe God is faithful. I believe God is for me and not against me. For the rest of my life, I will make great decisions at a God-inspired level. Somebody pray this morning. I believe, people, that this is God's plan for us, that we can live the rest of our lives aware by the power of the Holy Spirit, instructed in the beauty of obedience. We can live the rest of our lives in the rhythms of the expansiveness of God's will for us. And pray today over your life, pray over your family, Prayed over your children, prayed over the work of your hands, that I will make great decisions at a God inspired level. Prayed over your relationship. Oh, you shouldn't have five years ago, but today, what is the next best decision? Pray this morning. These are moments where God determines the rest of your life. Somebody that can be healing for your pain. You don't have to live in regret, you can live in a story of hope. You can live in a story of strength. I really believe it. This is the gospel that Jesus offers us hope. Jesus offers us hope. Day by day. Day by day. Somebody pray this morning. Let's take a moment and pray. I just want you to do that. I don't know what this is for you, but I feel like somebody needs it. There might not be drama happening around you. you. might not hear angels singing, but you can set your life right today. And you just know it in your soul. You feel that rhythm. You feel it in your soul. There's a rightness about this. Somebody needs God to correct your sense of value. You're going to be honest before God and say, I've, I've valued wrong. All I've really valued is my pleasure. All I've really valued is, it's just what people say. But today, I want you, Jesus. I want to honor you right. I want to put you first. Somebody pray. We're human. We're prone to mistakes. But I love that we can turn to Him. Somebody say, in Jesus' name, I'm giving to you, Holy Spirit. More and more, I give myself to you. Now say, lead me say inspire me please fill me please teach me please make me all that you want me to be now say through your help Holy Spirit I will live the rest of my life making decisions at a God inspired level say from this point forward I make great decisions say I'm aligned with God's will for me I know what to do I know how to do it I know where to do it I know when to do it I know who to do it with I know how to go about my life so Jesus will be glorified in me Say, so I will make great decisions incredibly great decisions I will make beautiful decisions Say so my life will make progress I will profit on every side by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit Say, so I receive it today in Jesus name Amen. Day day, tell, Lord, Let's pray this together today. Three things I pray To see you more clearly Love more dearly, you more dearly Follow me more nearly Day by day Help me to see you more clearly Love you more dearly, follow you more dearly Help me to, to see you more clearly. Love you more dearly, follow you, follow you more dearly today. Let me hear the church help me to, to see you more clearly. Love you more. That's our prayer today. Let every eye see you, Jesus. Let every heart love you. Let all our steps follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. While, while we stay standing, I want to make an invitation for somebody who came to church and you can't sing in the right place with God. I don't know who you are or how you got to be with us this morning. I'm so glad that you can be here and you can be here this today. But I'll tell you what. This is the basis I was saying about how the Holy Spirit. Is when we are Christians, when we're in the right place with God, in the right standing with God through faith in Jesus, then we know that we have the Holy Spirit and He's working in our lives. Maybe you, you hear everything I'm saying, and you say, "I can't boldly say I'm in the right place with God." There's only one way. If anybody here is right with God, there's only one way. It's not by working hard. It's, not by, going to, it's by putting your trust in what Jesus did once and for all on that cross. He died the death of the guilty. Not because he was guilty, but because we were guilty. So when we put our trust in that and we say, I believe you did that, and I trust in what you've done, then it is accounted to us. And now we can be in a right standing with God. We can have the innocence that he had because he took on the guilt that we had. That's how God makes it work. And so if you're here today and you say, I haven't put my trust in that, and I want to do that. Whatever words you use, I want to be born again. I want to give my life to Christ. Maybe at some point you had made this decision, but as we speak today, you know you've walked away from it. You want today to be that day of coming back home. I'm so excited about the chance you have this morning at Jesus. But this is that great decision that starts to lead to every other great decision. So I don't know who you are, but everybody is standing because we honor your decision. I'm asking everybody to bow their heads, close their eyes. Let's give a friend a moment. If you say to me, you're speaking to me, I need that. Where you are. When you put your hand on your chest on the count of three, God sees you, He knows you. One, two, three. Put your hand on your chest right where you are. God sees you, and He knows you. God bless you. If you're doing that, God bless you. And online also, anywhere you're following this right now, just put your hand on your chest. God sees you and he knows you. That's a miracle that is happening in your life right now. Thank you. Thank you for your sincerity this morning, everybody, who is doing that going to lead you to say prayer. This is a family not a crowd. We want to stand with you. Alright? And so everybody's going to join in and say this together. But well, Everybody who has their hand on their chest, I want you to say this word with boldness. and God hears your voice this morning. Alright? Let's say together this morning, Heavenly Father I come to you today because you've made a way for me to come. Through the death, the burial and the resurrection of your son Jesus. Say, so I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and is the Savior of the world. Say, I make today the day that I boldly confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. Say, I give everything to follow you. Please forgive me of the past. I give me a whole new life. Say, I will follow you for the rest of my life. Say, I believe that I'm a child of God. I'm washed clean in your blood. Today is a new day in my life. I'm a child of God. Totally forgiven. And totally loved. Say one day I'll be with you in heaven. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Come on can we congratulate everybody. Pray that prayer this morning. Congratulations everybody who prayed that prayer. Thank you so much for joining us here at Sycamore Church. If you pray that prayer at the end, we are so excited about your decision for Jesus and we would love to help you get established in your relationship with him. So please let us know about your decision at Jesus. There, you'll also find all kinds of resources to help you build your relationship with Jesus. If you enjoyed this message, we would love for you to subscribe wherever you are listening or visit www.sukamo.church forward slash resources. Again, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.